So I don't know if you know this or not, but if you've been around Vaughn Forest for any length of time, you know that every year around the Christmas season, we have the opportunity for a very special, sacrificial time of generosity with our annual Christmas offering. And in December, we introduced our Here and Now special offering for 2023, and that offering always goes uh, from the beginning of December to the end of January. And we set a goal with that offering of $100,000 at the beginning of December. And uh, we have a really exciting update for you today with that. And so I'd like to bring out Hardy Sellers, who is our executive pastor of operations. Hardy handles all of our finance and facilities here at Vaughn Forest Church, does a lot of things behind the scenes. So church, let's let Hardy know how much we appreciate him and welcome him to the stage today as he has this update for us. Thanks, Chad. Like Chad said, my name is Hardy Sellers, and I want to give you an update on the Here and Now Christmas offering like I said, ran from December last year through the end of this month. But first, I want to give you a little history. Vaughn Forrest has had a Christmas offering off and on for pretty much the history of the church with varying degrees of success. Giving credit where credit's due, our previous pastor, Adam Bishop, did a phenomenal job just helping the staff and the church understand the power of a strong Christmas offering by wrapping it around the Vaughn Forrest core values. Three of those core values being the next generation. We believe whoever wants the next generation will get them. Um, missions, both local and global missions, and also community. Uh, we believe uh, in giving to the community, no strings attached. And during the years that, two years that Adam was here, um, just due to his vision casting and your generosity, we raised well over $100,000 each of those years towards those core values. So in one of our meetings, Chad and I were having, getting ready for the fall, Chad said, hey, we're in between pastors. Do we want to have a, a Christmas offering this year? And I, I said, absolutely. Um, we've seen just what it does for the church, and, and just it's been a great thing for the church. Um, so yeah, we certainly want to have one, which led to the second question was, well, what should our goal be? The elephant in the room on that question was the last time we were in between pastors, before Adam came, we had a Christmas offering to raise money to build dormitories in the country of Georgia for a ministry over there. We had a goal of $23,000, and we raised $15,000. And he and I both said, whatever we pick, it needs to be successful. So we said, well, let's pray about it. So we took a week and prayed about it, came back again the next week. And, um, and so he's talking, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I, I think we need to set the goal of $100,000. And I wish you could have seen the look on Chad's face because he knew and I knew and he knew that I knew that 100% of the responsibility to convey this message was going to rest on his shoulders. Um, so I said, yeah, I truly believe that that's what we need to do. And his next thing was, are you sure? And I said, I am for a lot of reasons. But the reasons that I thought to myself was, number one, is I trust God. And I truly believe God had given us that number. Number two is the generosity of Vaughn Force never ceases to amaze me. And number three is I have seen the work that God has done in this man's life, turning him into such an incredible communicator and vision caster. I said, absolutely. I think we're good to go. So with that glimpse behind the curtain, I want to update you on the offering where we stand today. We have 24 more days left in the offering through the end of January. We've had 85 families contribute sacrificially above their normal giving. 
we've had gifts in excess of $10,000 and we have gifts less than $10. So a whole range of things. And I'm excited to announce that we are currently at over $162,000. So help me give God a hand for that. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Hardy. Very kind words. Church, that is so exciting. We set a goal of $100,000, and you respond in such incredible generosity to be at over $162,000 as of right now. One more time, let's give God a hand for what he has done with that. And thank you for your generosity in serving and making that happen. Now, when we started praying and talking about these goals last September, October, because we have to set goals ahead of time in order for it to be ready by December, we were aware of those five different initiatives of our Here and Now offering. Again, Hardy talked about how those line up with our core values. Here at Vaughn Forest Church, uh, local missions, global missions, reaching the next generation, uh, being able to have some facility upgrades here so that we are better equipped for the ministry that God has placed us here for, and, uh, and then responding to our for such a time as this moment in the nation of Israel to help share the gospel and to help aid those who have been affected by that war. And we prayed and we went to our governance board, that's our lay leadership team here at Vaughn Forest Church, and they prayed and we all agreed on those five initiatives. Since that time, we have been made aware of a few more needs and a few more opportunities to lean into. And any time that God blesses, oftentimes God opens more doors. And so since we had decided on those five initiatives, God revealed to us a couple of more opportunities that we could get involved in. And there is still almost a month left to give to this offering. And we fully believe that the Lord is calling us to lean into a couple of more opportunities, three to be exact. The first is there are several individuals in our church that for a long season have been taking mission trips down to the nation of Trinidad. If you don't know where Trinidad is, that's in the South Caribbean Sea, very close to South America. And there is a church down there that they have been partnering with for many, many years now. And that church runs around 100 folks, and they have a vehicle that they have used for many years that is responsible. It goes around and picks up about 60 to 70% of the folks who attend that church every single Sunday morning. And that is also the personal vehicle of the missionary who lives there. We have the opportunity to lean in because that vehicle is starting just to reach the end of its life. We have the opportunity to lean in and help them purchase a new vehicle in Trinidad so that they can further take the gospel to the people of that nation and introduce them to Jesus Christ. So that's the first one. The second is Reality and Truth Ministries here in Montgomery is already a part of our uh, special offering, uh, and they are currently moving into a new facility. And we had said there were a couple of opportunities, a couple of things, needs there that we wanted to help meet. Well, just like any time, if you've ever moved into a new house, you know there are unexpected expenses that sometimes pop up, things that are needed. And we met with LaDonna, who is the head of Reality and Truth Ministries down there. And what Reality and Truth Ministries, what they do is they serve the homeless here in Montgomery, those who are trying to get back on their feet. It's a place where they can get a warm shower, have a warm meal, get new clothes, and begin to put their lives back together. And as they're moving into this new facility, there's just some very practical needs that have popped up. They need help with a new HVAC system in this new facility. There are some appliances, stoves, washing machines like that that they need. There's some plumbing that needs 
to be done uh, for those showers. And because of your generosity, we have an opportunity to lean in and help them even more as we serve those folks in our community. We love getting to serve with no strings attached. And one of the other core values that we have here at Vaughn Forest Church is a laser focus on reaching the next generation. And we were made aware of a need at Pike Road High School. They need a new sound system in their gym. And uh, it's interesting because when they realized they had this need, they actually reached out to our production guys and said, hey, we need some help. Could you tell us a little bit more about what we need to be looking for? And through that relationship, we were made aware of that need. And so all of that to say, you have been incredibly generous. God has moved in an incredible way, but we are believing for even more. With our original goal of $100,000, now that we're at 162, we believe that with just $19,000 more, a goal now of $181,000, we can help give towards every single one of those needs. In Vaughn Force, what I know is that you always step up to the call and respond in amazing generosity. And we say all the time that it is not about equal giving, it is about equal sacrifice. And I know that there may be some of you who have not yet had the opportunity to get involved in our Here and Now special offering, but we believe that God is calling us here and now to respond to those needs. If you would like to give, uh, there is an offering envelope located in your bulletin. Simply place that offering in there right here and now on the outside, put it in one of those metal bins as you exit. Uh, I know a lot of folks also like to give online. You can go to vaughnforest.com slash here and now. And this will last until the end of the month, until January 31st. And uh, we are praying and we are fully believing that God is going to continue to work and move and do amazing things uh, as we respond here and now to the opportunities that he has set before us. So thank you, Vaughn Forest Church. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your continued generosity. We're excited to see what God is going to do. But for today, we are kicking off a brand new series called The Battle for Your Mind. And this series is going to be a four-week conversation uh, that we're going to have beginning today talking about the importance that our mental and our emotional health plays in our spiritual health. And that's our big idea for this series, that your mental and emotional health have a direct impact on your spiritual health. The things that we think and the things that we feel have a direct impact on our walk with the Lord. If you were always thinking negatively, if you were always feeling bad, then that's going to have a negative impact on your spiritual health. And uh, some facts, I went online this week and I found some facts and I pulled all of these from John Hopkins Medicine and the National Institute of Mental Health talking about the importance that mental and emotional health plays in our lives. Some facts that I pulled this week, the first one is that one in four Americans currently suffer from some form of mental illness. So look at yourself and look at three people around you. No, I'm kidding. But no, one in four Americans suffer from some form of mental illness. Next, 50% of Americans will experience some form of mental illness in their lives. 50%. One in two will experience some form of mental illness in their lives. Next, in 2022, because I couldn't find the data for 2023 just yet, Americans spent over $7 billion, with a B, $7 billion on some form of antidepressants. And then finally this, 
The number of antidepressants over the past six years has increased 35% from 61.2 million to 83 million prescriptions. So as you can see, this is an epidemic in our country, as real as the COVID pandemic that we all lived through just a couple of years ago. This is an epidemic in our country, and God's word has much to say about it. And now understand that me being up on this stage, I am raising a hand, I am not pointing a finger, okay? The other guys that are going to be on this stage, we are raising our hands, we are not pointing our fingers. These are things that we deal with, that we have dealt with, that we still deal with. But too often this conversation has been stigmatized and kind of shamed. It's something that maybe we don't talk about as much. And if there is a silver lining to the COVID pandemic, it's that in some ways it has normalized at least a little bit this conversation about mental and emotional health. But so often we ask the question, like if we're truly trusting in Jesus, how can we be struggling with these things? And yet, if you look at the numbers, if you look at the facts, it's true that we are. And so I'm hoping that this series is going to be able to tear down some of these walls and hopefully start some good conversations and begin to help some of you who may be struggling with some of these things, maybe that you've never even had the courage to admit. Maybe it's something that you struggle with on a daily basis that you have talked to folks about, but we believe that God's word offers us so much guidance and will help you as in strengthen your walk with the Lord. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today or, or joining us online, I would encourage you, don't check out. Don't check out. There's going to be some really helpful stuff for you in this series that I think could be really helpful. And I would encourage you that ultimately true peace is only found in that walk with the Lord. But today we're going to begin a conversation and each week we're going to build a little bit on that conversation. So just to give you guys a heads up of where we are heading in the battle for your mind over the next four weeks. Today we're going to be talking about living with anxiety. Next week, we're going to be talking about overcoming shame of our past. Week three is all about battling busyness. And then week four, as we culminate this conversation, we're going to be talking about how you can find hope. And so I would encourage you, be here for each one of these messages. If for some reason you can't be present here physically on campus, make sure you tune in online because each week we're going to build on these conversations, ultimately culminating in how we can find hope. And the reason that we're calling this series The Battle for Your Mind is because most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. Most of the battles that we face in life, they are won or lost in your mind. What happens in our mind and how we respond to things determines how our life goes. Pastor Craig Rochelle puts it this way. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. The strongest thoughts in our brains, that is the direction that our lives are moving in. And what we think shapes who we are. And this is a fantastic quote. But as always, Scripture is even better. And Scripture puts it more clearly in Proverbs 23 7. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And don't get caught up on the pronouns here. This applies to men and to women. But as we think in our hearts, so we are. So let's dispel with any notion that having a conversation about mental and emotional health is not a spiritual one. It 100% is, and again, God's word offers us so much guidance when it comes to this subject. So let's dive right in today. 
I want to kick things off, like we said, talking with today about living with anxiety. Now, this word anxiety, this is something, if you have been here at Vaughn Forest for any length of time, we've talked about before. And like I said, this is me raising a hand. This is not me pointing a finger. This is something that I have struggled with and continue to struggle with. I did some research this week. This word anxiety, it actually comes from a Latin word, anxious, which literally means to, to uh, fear or trouble or unease. Fear, trouble, or unease, which is derived from a Greek word that means to choke or to suffocate or to be unable to breathe. And if you've ever lived with anxiety in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That debilitating moment, that fear that almost keeps you from doing anything and you feel immobilized and like you can't even move and you can't even breathe. And uh, kind of a more modern definition, when I think of anxiety, I like to say anxiety awfulizes everything. I'll say that again. Anxiety awfulizes everything everything. It makes you see the world through the most awful lens. What is the worst that could come about? It makes every normal situation awfulized. It awfulizes everything. And we all have things in our lives that cause us to be anxious. And you may be anywhere on the scale. Maybe you would consider yourself not a super anxious person. Maybe you're down here as a one or a two. Don't get anxious too often. Or maybe you would be over here on the scale. You say, man, Chad, I take it up to 11. I feel like every single moment of my life, I'm in that unable to breathe, unable to move. It just feels like every moment is awful. Uh, and you may be anywhere on that scale, but some more facts that I found out this week, 80%, check this out, 80% of medications that are prescribed in the world are for anxiety related issues. Eight, zero. 80% of all medications in the world are prescribed for anxiety-related issues. And the past few years have made this worse. Seven in 10 Americans suffer physical issues due to the chronic stress and worry that we all feel. Now, the question is, why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious? And I would argue the answer lies right here. We are more aware than ever before. We are more connected and more in touch with what is going on around us than ever before. The 24-hour news cycle has seen to that. Push notifications have seen to that. We are more aware, and the advent of the internet has changed our world in such a way to where we are constantly connected and constantly aware of what is happening in the world around us. Author Lily Tomlin says this, that reality is the leading cause of worry for those in touch with it. Reality is the leading cause of worry for those in touch with it. And this is a problem because for 99.9% .9 of us out there, we're not going to become more unaware. We're not going to be able to walk that back. The genie is out of the bottle. It is not going back in. And this is not going to be one of those messages where I tell you that you need to completely disconnect from everything and turn off all of your social media. Like, could we all do with less of that, less news and less? Of course we could. But I also know that the reality is that for many of us, our jobs, if not all of us, our jobs require us to be online. Some of us, our jobs require us to be on social media. And so to think that we're just going to magically abandon that or unplug from all of it, it's just not reality for so many of the folks out there. So how do we live with this? 
How do we continue in this world that we find ourselves in? So the first thing we have to look at is where does anxiety come from? What's the origin of this? And to understand where anxiety comes from, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis. It says that the world at the beginning was in chaos. It says the world was dark and formless, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And what does God do? For six days, he speaks, and he brings order to the chaos. And he creates a perfect garden at the beginning of time for all of us to inhabit. So there's this perfect world, order has been brought into the chaos, and we're living in the garden. And then what happens in Genesis 3? Sin enters the world, enters the garden, and brings chaos back into it. God had established order, and sin brings chaos back into it. Now the good news is, we know on the other end, at the end of time, that God is going to reestablish his order. He is going to get rid of sin, get rid of the chaos, and reestablish his order. But when sin entered the world, it brought all of the troubles of life with it. And fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, right now we live between two gardens. We live between the garden at the beginning and the garden at the end, and in the world we inhabit, the sin uh, of chaos exists. And in that, between those two gardens, there is a lot of life to live, and unfortunately, there's a lot of things for us to worry about. So what do we worry about? Everything, right? We worry about, are we going to find a job? How do we keep our job? What kind of job are we going to have for students? How am I doing in school? Where am I going to go to college? Once you graduate, how am I going to find a spouse? How am I going to keep a spouse? How do I raise my kids to, to, to be obedient and loving and follow Jesus? What about my retirement? What about the economy? What about everything that's happening in this world? There is chaos all around us. And understand that not all worry is bad. Being concerned and making sure that you're taking care of things as the Lord has called you to, that is not a bad thing. But anxiety, that's more than just worry. Anxiety is more than just worry. Anxiety takes worry, and like I said earlier, it awfulizes everything about it. And anxiety is what happens when worry takes over our mind, and it changes our reality, and it takes what is hypothetical, what could be in the most awful form, and it makes it perceived as real to us. Anxiety tells us the lie that the worst is going to happen and it is perceived as real to us. And everything that you fear, you start to anticipate that happening. And it's not real, but it seems so real to us. And, and the best example I can give you, and I've told this story before, I'll tell it again real briefly, uh, is a, a struggle that I have had with anxiety over the last few years is when it comes to Flying. Now understand, my pedigree of flying, I have flown all around the world for years and years and years, uh, going on vacations, mission trips. I've been all over the place. I have done multiple 17-hour uh, nonstop flights in coach, okay? I got a pedigree when it comes to flying. We were literally in a third world country one time flying domestic in that country uh, on a mission trip, and I'm not going to say the name of it, and I'm sitting in the, in the middle seat, and a buddy of mine is sitting on the window, and we're coming in to land in the airport, and my buddy goes, huh. I said, what? He looks out the window, he goes, the engine's on fire. That's not good. I said, no, that's not good. But even in that moment, I wasn't really worried. It wasn't a really big deal to me. Uh, you would think it would be. It wasn't. It tells you how smart I am. I have no idea. But the moment that 
the anxiety kicked in for me with flying. Uh, a few years ago, this would have been probably July of 2018. Uh, the pastor here at the time, we went to a conference out at a church in LA, and we're, we're flying back, the conference is over, and the pilot comes over to the intercom, and he says, hey, uh, there's some storms ahead, we're expecting a little bit of turbulence. I've been through turbulence before, I thought, no big deal, I'm um, like, I'll help anybody else who's maybe struggling or maybe a little bit nervous, not a problem. And uh, when I say that the turbulence was bad, there was a flight attendant standing next to me who literally came off of her feet and landed in the aisle of people uh, next to her. Uh, the plane dropped so far and so fast. It probably only lasted a second or two, but that was what was happening. It literally came off her feet and landed next to her. And in that moment, it hit me. And in that moment, I started panicking, and it caused trauma. Fast forward a little bit, we land, everything's fine. Fast forward a little bit. The following February 2019, I'm flying out to Texas to go see a friend of mine, and as soon as the plane starts taxiing on the runway, I'm just panicking. Elevated heart rate, sweating, just having a panic attack. And uh, it lasts the entire time we're in the air. We land out in Texas. I remember calling my wife, Christy, and being like, hey, like, this was terrible. You may have to come and get me. And she goes, you better buck up because I'm not driving out to Texas. You're going to have to fly back. But I remember on the flight back, and I remember you know, going out there and coming back, it wasn't like that I was so scared of the plane crashing. What I had in my mind, this is what anxiety does, it awfulizes everything. I had this mental picture of my wife having to go to my daughters and telling them, your dad died in a plane crash. And them having to grow up without a father. And the trauma of that experience, it causes fear and it causes irrational thoughts. And that is what anxiety does to us. Now, isn't it so easy for us to see the irrational fear in other folks and tell them, like, I've had so many people come to me and go, flying safer than, uh, than driving your car. And I'm like, yeah, well, my car never did that. It's so easy for us to see that irrational fear in others. I think about my, my little girls when they, when they were little, how they were so terrified of the dark, right? They were so scared of what might be out there. And I'm telling them, there's nothing there. This is an irrational fear, but it seemed so real to them. Even though we know something, there's nothing to be scared of, it can seem so real. So what do we do? When we encounter that anxiety, what do we do? We try to control the situation. We think that if we can just control the situation, and if we can just be in charge of it, then we can make everything go our way. But that is a lie, because we can't control the situation, right? It is a lie, and this leads to a feedback loop of anxiety. Jason Berry, a pastor in a 12 Stone Church over Atlanta, says this, that the lie of anxiety is this, that we can protect ourselves from chaos by pursuing control. We seek to control. Why? Because when we are in control, we feel safe. We feel like we've got this. And when we're out of control, we feel unsafe. And anxiety is what dominates our lives when we feel out of control. Literally, this is how stupid anxiety gets for me. When I'm on that plane, I would rather be in the cockpit at the controls because then at least I would have some level of control over what was happening. I'm going to say that out loud again so you can hear again how stupid that sounds. I would rather be at the controls rather than the guy who has trained his, you know, most of his adult life and knows how to safely get us there. Why? Because anxiety lies and tells me that I need to have control. For my kids who are going to sleep, what do they want? Your children in the dark, they want a light on. 
Why? Because then they feel like they can have some measure of control. And so for so many of us, when it comes to anxiety, we would rather call the shots rather than rightfully acknowledging that God is in control. And rather than trusting in God, we would rather be in control because it means we feel like we have some level of control over what happens. And the idea that we can have control in our lives, that sounds like a good one, but ultimately we know that it is a lie. Now, can we control some small things? Of course, there are some small things that the Lord has given us that we can control. But when it comes to the big picture stuff, we try to control that. Why? Because it's a lie that anxiety tells us. And how do we know that ultimately that it's a lie? Look at the world around you. Bad things happen. And the lie of anxiety is that we think that we can control the bad. And so I want to pick us up in our scripture today. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. And uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, Luke 12, 16. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, no worries at all. We'll put all the scripture up here on the screens. But Jesus is telling his disciples a parable uh, about a man. And uh, in studying for this uh, message, this parable became very new to me because I had always kind of seen this parable one way. And, and as I studied it, I began to realize of what, Je- what Jesus was actually talking about. So we'll read a little bit and, uh, and then we'll kind of stop and give some commentary. So picking up in Luke 12, 16, we're going to read through verse 21 to begin with. This is Jesus talking to his disciples says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now let's pause here a moment because you're like, Chad, you've been talking about anxiety and worry this entire time. How does this fit in? And I have read this parable so many times, and and, and there is a lesson to be learned here about generosity towards the Lord. But I have read this parable so many times, and every single time that I read it, I thought that God killed this guy because he was greedy. That's what I thought every time I read this parable. And uh, I I always thought that seemed a little bit odd, but that's not it at all. This parable is actually about anxiety and worry and trying to have control over what ultimately happens in your life. How do we know that? Because of what Jesus says next, picking it up in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. So literally, he's just told the parable and he says, now, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And what Jesus is literally telling his disciples and telling us here, he's saying, look, the only thing to worry about is if you can add a single moment, a single hour to your life. And since you can't even do that because God has already determined every single bit of that, why do you worry about the rest? 
You see, the man in the parable, he wanted to control how the rest of his life was going to go. He was always going to die that night. God didn't kill him because he built a big barn. It was always going to happen. But this parable is a great reminder that ultimately that it is God that is in control. And while this may sound a little fatalistic, it's actually freeing. On the surface, it seems fatalistic, but it is actually so freeing because if God has determined every single day of our lives, what is there to worry about? And Jesus is going to continue by painting a picture of truth, picking it up in verse 27. He says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They, don't lay, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And if I could sum up this entire parable and what Jesus is saying to his disciples today, if you walk out of here today with nothing other than this simple truth that I'm about to tell you, remember this when it comes to our anxiety, when it comes to our worry, when it feels like this world is out of our control, remember this one simple truth that Jesus is telling us here, and it is this He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And sometimes in our lives, when we are faced with anxiety, when we are faced with this overwhelming worry that threatens to just dominate us, sometimes we have to go back to those simple truths that he has got the whole world in his hands. When we face fear in our lives, he's got the whole world in his hands. When we don't know what our next step is, he's got the whole world in his hands. When we face circumstances and we're not sure how we got here and we're not sure why it is happening to us and we don't have any control whatsoever, he's got the whole world in his hands. Psalms 24.2 puts it this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And again, sometimes we have to go back to those simplest truths. I think about my kids being scared of the dark, not knowing what's out there. If they knew what I knew, that there was nothing there to get them, if they knew the steps that I had taken to comfort them, to keep them safe, to protect them, they wouldn't worry. And I think for those of us that sometimes struggle with anxiety, struggle with worry, if we could just see a clear picture of who God is and to know that he is in control and that he's got the whole world in his hands, we wouldn't worry and we wouldn't feel that anxiety. I think about Jesus. Jesus was the least anxious person who ever lived. Why? Because he had the clearest picture of who God the Father is. Remember when Jesus and the disciples, they're on the boat and the boat's being tossed about and the disciples are all freaking out and worried and anxious. And where is Jesus? He is asleep in the bow of the boat. Why? Because he has a clear picture of God and he knows that he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got this. He has always had this. He will never not have this. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so when our view of God is clear, 
our anxiety and worry start to fade away. So how do we do that? How do we get that clear view? And if you have your notes page, we're gonna begin to wrap up here in just a moment. And uh, if you have your notes page, pull those out because I've got just a couple of real practical steps for us today uh, as we deal with anxiety and worry in our lives. The first thing that I would tell you is this. The first step, go to God's promises. When you are facing anxiety and worry, go to God's promises. These are things like scripture. These are things like worship. These are things like prayer. Go to God's promises. Read in scripture where it talks about how God is in control. Listen to worship songs. Flying back from Texas that time, literally all I could do was put on music and worship and listen about God's goodness. Go to God's promises. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 gives us a great reminder of this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go to God's promises. That's step number one. Number two, very practical tip. Talk to a brother or sister in Christ that you can trust. Talk to a brother or sister in Christ that you can trust. This world is tough to live in, and we say it here all the time, that God's plan for the pain is his people. God has given us one another to support one another, to pray for one another, to be there for one another. Beginning next Sunday, we are actually launching our uh, sign-up for our spring semester of life groups. And if you're not in a life group, let me tell you, you are missing out on one of the best uh, support systems and opportunities to grow in your faith that exist. I would encourage you to get connected to a life group. Why? Because it, it, you have the opportunity to talk to a brother or sister in Christ that you trust when you encounter those tough times in your life. Galatians 6, 2 reminds us of this. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Number three, and this is kind of related to number two, if you need to, see a medical professional. It's okay. See a medical professional. It's okay. There are times that our anxiety and our worry goes beyond just what is normal for us to share with others. Sometimes uh, God's truth offers us so much good stuff, but sometimes it has gotten to a point where you need to go see a medical professional. And as one of your pastors here today, if you feel like you are in that place, hear me say this, it is okay. That is perfectly fine. Now, I would encourage you to go and find a Bible-believing counselor, a Bible-believing medical professional. And if you are in the place and you're saying, you would say, Chad, I know I need to talk to someone, but I don't even know where to begin. If you, on your connection card, would just write counselor on there and drop that off in one of the metal bins on your way out today, we will do our best to get you connected to someone professional who can help you. Number four, develop healthy habits. Develop healthy habits. Our physical body does have a direct impact oftentimes on our mental and our emotional health, which again has an impact on our spiritual health. So develop healthy habits. This is diet. This is exercise. This is sleep. These are the things that a lot of us struggle with, but we are oftentimes at our worst, what? When we are tired or hangry, am I right? So develop healthy habits. Make sure you have those healthy rhythms in your life. That goes a long way towards fighting anxiety and worry. And then the last one, number five, and this is one of the most important, make Sabbath a regular part of your life. Make Sabbath a regular part of your life. 
Now, what is Sabbath? Very simply, Sabbath is rest. And nothing demonstrates trust in the Lord more than Sabbath. Why? Because when you rest, you let your guard down. And anxiety tells you that you always have to be on your guard. You always have to be protecting. That if you let up for just a moment, you're going to lose it. And Sabbath is demonstrating going that I know that when I let go, that ultimately the Lord is still there. He is still protecting I can trust him. He is in control. Ezekiel 20, 20 says this, keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. So it's important for us to Sabbath. It's important for us to take breaks, to demonstrate that trust that we have in the Lord. The truth is this, that if we occasionally don't break free from the pressures of this life, we will break under the pressure of this life. If we don't occasionally break free from the pressures of this life, we will break under the pressure of this life. And God wants to speak to an age-old problem of anxiety and worry with an age-old truth, and that is Sabbath, that is rest. So what does that look like practically for us? The first thing that I would encourage you to do is to diverge daily. Find daily, every, every day, find a moment, a quiet time where you can get with just you and the Lord, read scripture, listen to worship, Find some time that you can daily refresh yourself. And this doesn't have to be long. This can be 10, 15, 20 minutes. But just take a moment every single day to diverge from everything else that's happening and to refresh your heart and to focus on the Lord. The next thing I would tell you is to withdraw weekly. And this is the example that God sets for us at the beginning when it says that he works for six days and then rests on the seventh. God didn't have to take a break. That's not who he is. He's all powerful. He's God. He was setting an example for us that once a week we need to withdraw. And that's what many of us do here when we come here to worship and to be refreshed and to be encouraged in the Lord. So we diverge daily. We find a daily moment to walk away. We withdraw weekly. We keep that weekly Sabbath day. And then finally this, abandon annually. About once a year, find some time, a few days at least, to walk away from the pace of this life. Because again, if we don't get away occasionally from the pressure of it, we will break under the pressure of it. The band's gonna come out and lead us in a time of response. But what I would tell you today is that anxiety is when I seek to have control. And ultimately, the way we defeat that is by knowing that God is in control. And as we respond here in just a moment during this time of worship, I, I, I would just encourage you to this. If you were struggling with that today, ask God to exchange your worry for his peace. Ask God to exchange your fear for his protection. Ask God to exchange your anxiety for his trust. Because ultimately, he is the one who is in control of it all, and he's got the whole world in his hands. Let's pray. So Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you do have control of it all and that God, we can trust you. God, I thank you that you love us. And God, I thank you that your word offers us so much hope and so much truth and so much peace when it comes to these different battles that we face in our mind. And so Father, I pray that now as we respond in worship, God, that you would speak to us. For those who are struggling with anxiety and struggling with that worry, God, that you would calm their hearts, that you would calm their minds, you would help them to focus on you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
We invite you to stand as we respond in worship together.